Well, welcome to Sounds of Our City. This is the beginning. This is where it all began. This is episode one. My name is Graham Brown. Let me share a little on what Sounds of Our City is all about and hopefully why you want to join us on this journey. We want to tell the story of Asia and its amazing cities through the people and their local stories. So we are starting in Singapore because that's where our studio is. But hopefully we can take sounds of our city to a city near you soon, somewhere in Asia with amazing stories to tell. So the first episode is on Singapore. We have five stories from local entrepreneurs and investors because we want to hear their journeys. And for each one of these entrepreneurs, investors, we asked them to take us to where it all began. Take us to a point, a place in Singapore that has special meaning for them. And I admit that I'm one of those storytellers in episode one, but not all of it. There are four others joining me on this journey. We have Sherilyn Tan from Asia Law Network, JW Niao, who has had two successful exits here in Singapore and now also an entrepreneur and angel investor in other endeavors. John Tanner, who moved to Singapore from Australia, and angel investor Stephen Yu. They're all going to tell different stories with different flavors, but they're all meaningful stories for them. This is episode one. We're just getting started. Hopefully you enjoy Sounds of Our City. If you do, then please follow us on all the usual platforms, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, etc. If you want to find out where we are based and a bit more of the backstory and sign up for our newsletter, um, you can go to soundsofourcity.com. That's soundsofourcity.com. Sign up for the newsletter and you will get updates on all the latest episodes and also when we'll be heading to your city soon. So Graham Brown signing off. Enjoy episode one, the beginning of sounds of our city. So we're standing at the corner of Ju Chat Terrace and Everett Road here in Singapore with Stephen Liu, angel investor in Singapore. Stephen, hello. Hey, Graham, how are you? Very good. Um, you brought us here because we're at the corner of this road where a house which you own has this amazing mural on the outside. We'll talk about the mural in a minute, but for those that don't know, what area of Singapore is this? So we are right smack in Peranakan Central uh-huh. in Singapore. Um, a lot of the Peranakans in Singapore, the Nunias and the Bibis, they, all, they live around here. Well, what is Peranakan for those that know? Peranakan is, um, so they are early Chinese settlers. I think rumours has it that they were part of the entourage that came um, out of China during the Ming Dynasty. Yeah. And as they sailed down Southeast Asia, some of them decided to make Southeast Asia their home. Yeah. And then they intermarry with the, the locals, primarily Malays. Malays. Yeah. So they developed their own cuisine, their own heritage, um, their own dressing. I'm not so uh, not so sure about the language. I think it's a mixture of Malay and Chinese and yeah. Indians all in there. I see it when I'm walking around. Some of the food places here, like the Peranakan food, yep. Nonya cuisine, yep. that sort of thing. There's also like you know you see a lot of like Nazi Malamak and stuff like that around here. Sort of very local specialities. It's very different to center of town. Yeah, I, I call it the original fusion cuisine. Is it? Yeah, it's like a fusion of Chinese, Malay, Indian. Um, Portuguese, yeah. um, some African stuff in there. 
Cool. So it's pretty interesting. There's a very unique culture as well. I mean, even just walking around some of the streets here, you see the houses. They have the old style house with the courtyard, you know, and the the families. They've got like the pot plants out there, and people seem some of them seem to be running their businesses out of their front of the house here. So it's very sort of Singapore that you wouldn't see if you only went to the centre of Singapore, like Marina Bay Sands mm-hmm. and Gardens by the Bay, and so on. So you've taken us to this mural here. So let's talk about what this mural is about. It's on the side of the house here. It seems to be, let me describe it first, two boys sitting on horses with paint rollers or something like that. What's the story behind this, Steve? Um, so I bought this house back in 2012. Yeah. It is a conservation shop house. There are about 3,000 to 4,000 of them in Singapore, which are designated for residential purpose. And when we say it's a conservation shop house, basically it's a house that was built some something like 100 years ago. Yeah. And there are very strict rules as to how you can rebuild and what you can do to the facade. But this side of the wall, the side wall, is one of those places where you know we're, we're given a little bit more liberty as to what we're going to do with it. Right. So when I bought the house, um, the previous owner has already done a very good job um, retrofitting it. Um, but I found the wall a little bit bare. Right. You know, it's just concrete. There was nothing. And it felt very cold right here. And then we were hanging out at the roof terrace on top. Yeah. Um, having a drink and then watching kids playing here and having really good fun. So the inspiration came, hey, why why don't we do something to give back to the community that we're, we're now in? You know, we're, we're new neighbors um, to, to get to know us. Um, so I started looking around, trying to figure out what can I do to the wall and... and Getting a mural art on it was um, one of the ideas that, that happened. So let, let's put that into context. Some people might call this graffiti. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you come from, you, you used to be a lawyer yes. here in Singapore. So how, how do these wor- worlds sort of match up, especially here in Singapore, which is renowned for being quite sort of, you know, like uh, very uh, strict with its you know, cleanliness and treatment of the public buildings and so on. So how did, how did all that come together? So this was back in 2012, all right? About eight years ago, right? Yeah. Six years ago, yeah. Six, seven years ago. Anyway, back then, I think the, you're right. The, you know, the, the rules and the laws and the regs and all of these things would kind of inhibit the display of creativity like this. Mm. Um, and in fact, when I started doing my legal research as to what can I do to my wall, there was actually very little laws on it. Um, there were a lot of things that say what you cannot do. So, for example, I can't have any advertising. No. I can't have a big sign saying this is my, um, I don't know, home office, you know. But there wasn't anything about what I can do about it. <laughs> and then when I started looking at, a, at putting up a mural art, I started consulting a couple of government agencies out there, um, you know, the one, those that are responsible for the urban management. Yeah. Um, those are responsible for art development in Singapore. And again, the the feedback I got at time was, we have a whole bunch of stuff that says, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. But there was very little in terms of what can you do. Hmm. And that was when I decided to say, you know, it's probably easier for me to ask for forgiveness later than to ask for permission. And I went ahead and, and reached out to a very interesting budding artist that I found online on social media. His name is Ernest Zakarevic. He's a Lithuanian. 
Yeah. But at the point in time, he was actually living and working in Penang, in Georgetown. Yeah, Malaysia. Yeah, in Malaysia. Yeah. And Georgetown has also the same kind of old conservation ho- shop houses in, in um, you know, in, in that little, I don't know, five block radius. Um, but a lot of the houses were in very bad state, very dilapidated. I think some of them looked like they were even abandoned. Ernest went around painting a lot of these houses. Yeah. And the murals went viral online, and that's where I found him. So, so to- you just reached out to him I and reached said, out to him. come and do it here in Singapore? And he was like, yeah, cool. I took a photograph of my bare yeah. wall, sent it to him, I think, on Facebook and say, hey, Ernest, you want to come and paint my wall? Yeah. I'll pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. But even then, it took about a year to convince Ernest to come. Um, because rightly, he was also concerned about... Am I going to be arrested? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I don't want to get caned yeah. <laughs> because I, I read about this guy called Michael Fay yeah, who got caned. Happen. You know, yeah. Um, so we had a lot of conversation. Um, he flew in, did some research about the place, stayed with us for a week, got to know the neighbors, um, got to know the kids. Yeah. Um, so the the mural art that you have here is very much inspired by the children that he has he has seen playing in this park, this beautiful park that we were, mm. we're, we're standing right now. So there are like two kids sitting on like horses that look yep. like they've been drawn by kids. So the horses also have some, there's a little bit of a um, Genesis to it, Genesis story to it. Um, back in 2012, there was still um, some, I, I don't really know what they are. I've, I've not done enough research, but there were some, Malay Indonesian type of um, this performance at ah. the corner of Juche Road and Juche Place, and they were riding around. The performers were riding around in paper horses. Yeah, yeah. And and they were dancing, and they went. You know, it looked very interesting. There was one night that Ernest and I watched the whole performance at the corner of the of the street, and I guess he was kind of inspired to do something like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I can yeah. see that coming out there. What was the reaction like from the people in the area, the neighbours, because? They probably walked by one day and thought, "Oh my God, what's happened here? <laughs> Somebody's graffitied Stephen's wall." How did that work? How well did that go down, or did it? Um, so I think we—it was a very interesting experience for both Ernest, um, the the artist, and and also you know my wife and I who own the house. Um, the the whole conceptualizing took a year. Um, there were multiple trips that you know he then have to make just to figure out how to get it on. Um, but the actual painting took only about one week. Yeah, I think the uh, initial reaction when my neighbors saw there was a boom lift um, in parked outside my house, they thought we we're gonna repaint the whole wall. Yeah. <laughs> and we I were think, kind of. Yeah, some of them came out to us and say, um, "Yeah, we actually don't like the you know the the color of your wall. Yeah. Right? it's a good thing they have color. You're gonna do something about it. Uh, what color are you gonna paint it?" And I was like, you know, just hang around and watch. <laughs> <laughs> so as the thing developed, I think we had more and more um, of our neighbors coming around. I think the, in general, I think the reaction was very positive. Yeah. The kids especially love it. I imagine, because you're right opposite a kid's yeah. playground yeah. here as well. So. We even saw a couple of kids actually trying to cosplay this whole thing <laughs> out, which was totally hilarious. That's nice. Uh, yeah. So what do you think it says for Singapore in general as well? Um, there's a lot of talk about Singapore being a place where there isn't a lot of creativity. It's very much, I mean, those sort of Confucian values of following what you're told to do and not sort of 
you, I mean, obviously, with your background as a lawyer, it helps because you know, like you said, this is what you can't do, but it doesn't say anything about what you can do. What do you think it says for the city of Singapore? And also, I mean, you're, you're sort of very much deep in the startup ecosystem here. Do you think there's a story to take away from this? Um, I think my own lesson learned was, I think back in 2012, while, while we were trying very hard to embark on this startup journey as a country, um, there was still a lot of um, people at, at different part of the society wondering whether this is the right thing. Mm. You know, so even the government was not very sure how far do we open up the door, how far do we allow people to experiment, to try out new stuff. Which is what I encountered when I said I want to paint something like this on my wall. Right. And most of them went, okay, fine, this is your home. You're not going to run a business out of your home. Um, you're just doing this you know, for the fun of it. Yeah. You're not breaking the law, I'm not but breaking you're kind of the fears there, yes. isn't it, for most people? And you sort of understand that it, it, it's legal, but most people are scared to do this because they're not sure... Where, where, we, where we sort of land with this, right? I would use the change in mindset in this way. I think back then, the, considerate, the mindset was all about, fine, there was nothing there that says this is not le- illegal. Yeah. But there's also nothing that says it's legal. Yeah. So you better not do it. But I think after we have done it, and the government and the society, you know, and the commentators, I think there were, there were actually quite a lot of debates, yeah. even in the media as to, should we be allowed to do something like this? What was the net result of that? Where, where do people stand on that? Because obviously you've got the locals on board, yep. but with the, the organizations, local development boards, the bigger powers out there, how do they stand with this? I think it came down interesting right smack in the middle. Um, even with the powers that be, there were people who felt that, hey, this is cool. Yeah. You know, this, this brings a little bit of vibrancy to our, our society. And it's nice that it's grassroots, it's not top-down. Um, for those of us who are very active or, or, or take part in the arts um, scene in Singapore, we know that a lot of them, um, the momentum comes from top down. Mm. It comes from you know National Arts Council working to give grants to artists to promote the art. And then from grassroots up, someone like me who just go out there and say, I'm going to spend a ton of money, get an artist in, pay for him to stay with me for a week and then, you know sponsor the whole thing. Yeah, It wasn't cheap. I mean... I could easily have bought a beautiful piece of painting and hang it in my home. Inside? Inside. Yeah, but you shared but it no for the community. no one would see yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I think that kind of changed the conversation. Mm. You know, and, and I've seen, since 2012, I, I've seen a massive change in mindset, even with the Singapore government and with the society as, at large. Mm. Now people are more prepared to say, if it's not illegal, why don't yeah. we give it a shot? Why yeah. don't we try it? You know. Exactly. And it usually comes down to having an example, isn't it? Yep. If there is an example, people are a little bit fearful of being the first one, but you've done that. Are we going to see more of this? We have actually seen a lot more of this. Yeah. Uh, not, not, for, not from me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I paid for one of them. Um, you started uh, a movement, Stephen. But um, if you have gone down to Haji Lane, for example, yeah. um, Haji Lane back in 2012 didn't have a single one of them. Yeah, there's some beautiful ones. Yeah, but now they're you know yeah. it's beautiful. It's all over the place, and it, it and it, and it's changed. Yeah, the the whole vibe of Haji Lane. Yeah, I really like it, and I really like what you've done here. Say so thank you for for being one of the first and getting it started. I suppose it took somebody to take a little bit of a risk. And, a, a and, and paying some fines <laughs> along the way. Okay, <laughs> but you paid your dues, and I think I for the better dues, of the community, yes. it's yeah. a great place as well. It's a beautiful part of. 
um, you know, where we are in mm. Singapore as well. And I don't think a lot of people see this part of Singapore, and I'd encourage them to get out of central Singapore. I know people's yep. schedules are usually quite busy when they visit here, but to get out and visit a little bit of the east as well and come here at Juchat Place and so take a look. Graham, I don't know if you noticed when we were talking, there yeah. were a couple of tourists yeah. that came around. Taking photos. Taking photographs. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing. So this is what I believe public art mm. can do to a place. Yeah. This is a completely residential neighborhood in the middle of nowhere. Um, yet we found tourists who, who appreciate yeah. good art coming all the way here to take a picture with the, with the mural. It's great, yeah. especially here in Singapore. I mean, we see it, I and mean, if you go to Europe, you see it in places like Barcelona. It's yep. everywhere. It flourishes and it gives the character to the city as well. And you've given a, a little um, spot of, well, happiness as well. Yep. I think it's a happy I mean, I mean, you can't look at this thing and not smile, yeah. right? Cool, so Does it have a name? So the um, artist called Star War. Star War. Yeah, as yeah. in a play on, on Star War. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, cool. And the name of the artist again? Let's put a shout out. Ernest Zakharovic. Zakharovic. Yep. Cool. Stephen, Stephen Liu, thank you so much for Thanks, man. your time and sharing your story with us. It's thank good. So we are in Trust Street in central Singapore. We're sitting outside a brasserie in the side streets, enjoying a very welcome beer mm. with John Tanner. John, good to see you again, mate. Good to see you. Cheers. Yeah, good to be here. key part of this series, Sounds of Our City, is to take people back to where it all started and to capture the memories of what it was like when you started out in your business in the early days, when you didn't have a nice shiny office. When you didn't have all the people running around after you like you do now. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so what is it like coming back for you? Are these good memories for you? Yeah, I think um, I've done a couple of startup cities, and, and, but this is a really different one. Obviously, you know, being out of Australia and, and, you know, I've been a party to the US startup, but this is culturally so different as an experience. And um, I think, you know, you notice the architecture and, and the sounds and the, the people and, and I really recall the sort of generosity of spirit of both the, the local right. context we had and the, the sort of, um, you know, expat business venture investor sort of networks. And everyone here seems very, I think because it's such a hub and it's such a, um, a part of the region and there's so much going on and so much opportunity that it feels less micro-competitive. So people would tend to be mm. more generous with introductions and give you great information and, and all those things rather than, you know, you get more of a sense in some countries we operate in um, that people are trying to protect what they've built. Yeah. Um, and I think here it's more, well, there's, there's no real ceiling here. It's going to keep rolling forever. And um, there are so many countries and so much happening that, you know, it's probably that generosity I really, you know, remember encountering early. Yeah. Um, and it was very helpful because people gave you great information. When yeah. you came here, what, five, six years ago? Five six years, years ago. To, from Australia? To investigate. Yeah, I did a couple from of trips. Melbourne? Melbourne. I was living in Melbourne for 12 years before here yeah. and then did sort of just fly in, fly out investigation trips. So you do discover that um, you, you need to spend more time uh, at once. That, you know, a week's not enough, 10 days isn't enough because you sort of, you go to the bank to set up the business account right. and they Lost say... 10 days. Yeah. <laughs> so they basically go, this is all you need. Great. Come in, we'll do that. We deliver that. And they go... And one more thing, yeah. do this and get a, you know, and you, you find that out after you've left the country yeah. and you have to be there. And yeah. So that sort of complexity. But um, once you get the hang of, of asking the extra questions and, and asking other people what their experience was like, yeah. 
Um, I do find, and, and we obviously do a lot of market entry for companies coming from West Coast or Australia or Europe, and everyone does reinvent the wheel a little bit. Mm. Like, you know, you go, well, I'll ask my mates and I'll get a referral and, and those things, and yet you hack it together. They're, you do have to sort of create your own journey here. Yeah. So it's all a, a bit of a discovery process. But It takes up a lot of energy, doesn't it? Especially if you're starting a business and setting up a family here. Yeah. And how was that for you? I, I've been through that journey very recently, yeah. coming from Japan to Singapore. Starting a business is quite involving. Moving country alone yeah. is involved. Logistical challenge. Yeah. yeah. So how balancing that all together do you remember what you're going through now like five years on standing outside well, your old office with, with great clarity because <laughs> when, we, when we actually arrived um we'd found out a week before we moved here apparently that um, we we're having a baby unexpectedly oh, no. unexpectedly and, yeah and so in in that way well we, we plan to have children but not, not that quickly <laughs> and we didn't have insurance locally oh, and all these things and we thought oh well you know, this is a great place to have. All my friends have had children here. It's fantastic. You know, blah blah blah. The, the infrastructure is wonderful. Yeah. It's great healthcare, um, but it, you couldn't actually get insurance to cover any complications of birth. So, our grand plan of going and spending eight weeks in different Airbnbs to figure out which part of Singapore we liked still played out, but with terrible morning sickness. <laughs> oh yeah, and all these things. And then we ended up moving back after two months, basically a block from where we let our house go and sold all our furniture into a fully furnished pad. Oh wow! Yeah. So and your was, wife was like pretty advanced pregnant I well no say. she was just having a terrible pregnancy experience she yeah. wasn't that, that pregnant but we, we ended up having Dali a little girl and then came back when she was three months old uh-huh. so it was like a two phase we moved here twice right. effectively yeah, yeah. So when you fun. actually moved back here with your daughter that second time was it easy to integrate was it a bit of a blur like looking back now because yeah. I think this is this is a real challenge isn't it because you were actually starting a business as well yeah absolutely I think um, the business piece is okay in the sense that we had relationships that were working for us into the market here so yeah. we had some clients to start with um, and that sort of evolved we weren't very aggressive we, we sort of it was a slow burn on that that first part of the business we didn't spend a lot of money we kept it lean um, and that went okay the the family stuff was also pretty seamless. Like we, we had some friends and networks that had moved here yeah. in the previous years and that they, they rotated out not long after we arrived here, which is annoying, but, um, but we got good referrals on where to look at living and, and how to go about that process. So, you know, a good friend of mine was lucky enough to have a great agent help him with property and we've ref- now referred her on to about 20 other people. So you, you get these referrals and, and you know, in a condo that was older, but really friendly and, and great family yeah. support and all those things. So, I think you sort of make your own luck a little bit, but Absolutely. you know, if you ask questions and people really, you've got to put yourself out there. Though. Yeah, put yourself out there a yeah. bit. But people, I think here it's, it's very family oriented. So yeah. I think the the local culture around kids is fantastic. They're very embracing. Like everyone's playing with your kids all the time. No matter where you go, there's always a stack of thirty. You know, aunties, aunties. Well, not aunties, but also you go to any restaurant and they're child friendly, right? Like yeah. you, there's a stack of high chairs in every restaurant. They're happy to move things around. And, and I get the feeling in Australia it's probably not quite. Oh, that really? Friendly. Oh, well, it's just a bit. Oh, this isn't really a child restaurant. Ah, I yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. But whereas everything's family here. So let me ask you because this is a conversation that we've had, and also one I'm curious about as an immigrant to a culture like this especially somebody's come here with a new family, a young family, set up a business, it can move very fast and suddenly you're five years in mm. and you think, well, 
where did the time go? Do you consciously try and take time out and enjoy your city? And if so, how do you do that? And it doesn't necessarily have to be the big things like let's do Singapore F1 this year. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> well, they're the obvious things, right? The events and things that are, that are more commercial. But I think yeah, my wife's really good at um, making us get out as a family and do things on every other weekend. Or, you know, and it might be just simple botanical garden stuff, but it might be Palo Abin, go and ride a bike. Yeah. around the island and, and have it a fun that way and, and see some things. And we have, I think the other thing is when you live here, it is such a hub that you always have friends or family coming in and out. Oh, yeah, I've got a few coming yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> Bless. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's like, you know, you take those opportunities to go and do some discovery yourself. So I think yeah. that helps you. You want to show them things and you want them to experience a, a good time, whether it's the, 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 the glossier stuff down at Sentosa or whether it's more the old school stuff around some of the more, you know, historical yeah. elements of the city. But you get to rediscover, I think, where I think if if living at home, like in Melbourne, that sort of place, you don't do that. No. I yeah. lived in London for 14 years. I never went to Buckingham Palace. I never went to... You never to got Big, invited. I didn't get invited. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. Sour grapes. I never went to Big Ben. I yeah. never saw any of that. You didn't do the tourist stuff because you're a local. You yeah, because it's always there. I get yeah. around to it. And I think, like, standing here in this street, in Trash Street, we've got all these, like, beautiful shop houses with the old fronts as well. Like, just trying to get a big appreciation of that as well. And just being, I suppose, in a way, because it's new, just trying to soak that in and absorb the culture and being a bit more proactive in it. You know, I could stay in London for another 20 or 30 years, but I still wouldn't go to Big Ben or Buckingham Palace, right? But yeah. here, I'm sort of forced to. I'm forced to experience stuff and absorb it and understand and learn a bit about the culture and so yeah on. yeah i think that's part of the you know the great experience of being an expat somewhere else is that you sort of learn new things and uncover things that you know you can't be as lazy as you are at home because everything True. works for you at home right you've got your infrastructure your friends your family everything you're used to you've grown up with it you, i think you make assumptions about it almost as you say you probably haven't seen half of what you could have seen in your own backyard but you go somewhere new and you're actually forced to sort of look around and figure things out and ask questions and and, you know meet people and and get out of your comfort zone which i think is really helpful so we're in boat key which is in central singapore i'm standing well it looks like a bit of a back street in a busy area of singapore with sherilyn tan from asia law network welcome Thank you, Graham. So good to see you again. It's great to see you in good form as well. Why are we here today? This is a part of your journey, growing Asia Law Network. It's been a long journey. Yes. We're standing outside what looks like a law firm. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the genesis of all this. Why, why are we here? Why did you bring us here to tell a little bit about your story? Well, I thought for a few reasons. Number one, actually, Boat Key uh, represents the start of many things in Singapore. It used to mm. be the place where you know all the lighters unload their goods yeah. and, and small businesses start. Uh, second thing, it also represents how fast Singapore has grown. Um, so when we were growing Asia Law Network, obviously this was a place that I visited a lot. And there are many, many law firms here. We have the small ones um, that are along the shop houses. And yeah. of course, the bigger ones that in, you know, the, the bigger um, office buildings. Yeah, the shiny office buildings. Exactly. This is quite sort of more down at the hill. Exactly. Looks more like family law firms or smaller yes. practices. Yeah, smaller practices, yeah. boutique. Um, they specialize. And I've come to know many, many of them over yeah. the past years. Uh, so, you know, just, just, just walking here actually brings back a lot of memories. Cause Good I memories? Used, yeah. When you started out. Let's put it on record. You're mm. not a lawyer. No. Not from that world, are you? But you're selling to lawyers. Yes. So, 
you went out, and this is the inspiring part of your story, is you went out and you didn't even have a product yet. Yes. Help me with the story here. You didn't have a product. You just had wireframes. Yes. A mock-up of your website that you wanted to build, Asia Law Network. Yeah. And you went and knocked on the doors. Old school yeah. style of law firms. Is that really how it happened? Yes. That's exactly how it happened. So um, I didn't tell the lawyers that they were only screenshots because they look really good. Right. <laughs> it worked, right? Yes, it that's, worked. Okay. You're selling an idea. Yes. The idea is to basically get the few first few lawyers and yeah. law firms to affirm that this is a need that they're happy to participate and also you know to also ask around uh, people or small businesses that they need this service yeah uh, and of course after get af- getting that affirmation then we went on to building the MVP yeah mm. so this was even pre MVP yes you're knocking MVP. on doors tell us actually how that happened so here's an example law firm we're standing out with the stairs leading up to the top of the office. It looks a bit intimidating if you don't know what you're going into. What did you do? Did you literally just rock up and knock on the door and say, hi, I'm Sherilyn? Yes. Really? Actually, I remember sending out at least 100 emails a day. Yeah. Uh, of course, I had really good like advisors uh, that was there to help me with it. Yeah. So people like Shashi, uh, you know, introduced me, some of his friends who would, you know, spend some time with me at least to run through my ideas and was standing outside actually Anil's office, yeah. Anil Changarov. Uh, so shout out to him. Yep. He's one Chang of the Roth. first yep. few, you know, forward-thinking lawyers that was uh, tech-ready and yeah. really uh, happy to see some changes in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And how many calls did you make a day? How many doors did you knock on? Because this is the hustle, which I think a lot of startup <laughs> founders don't feel like maybe they feel they have the technology. They don't need to do this. Mm. But you went out there and did that. And I think that's inspiring to a lot of people listening. Yeah. Do you remember the kind of volume you're putting out back then? Yes. So, I mean, at that point in time, there was about 5,000 lawyers in Singapore. Yeah. Uh, so, practically emailed all of them. So were banned by some of them. Okay. <laughs> all right. They would reply and like say, hey, this is spam. Please don't, you know, yeah. write to me anymore. And, uh, of course, there were the ones that are curious, you know, to see what's going on. So... Mm. So, yeah. So, and I always believe, you know, for tech adoption, it's always first 15%, right? Yeah. So, I just had to get through that and uh, get the first 15%. How did you get through that? Because that must have been tough early on, where you're rocking up to people's offices who didn't know who you were. Yeah. Hadn't seen a product like yours before here in Singapore. Yes. And here you are, a woman, not a lawyer, a tech person maybe, yes. without a product, and you were selling something to them? Yes. Did that go down easily or was that a lot? Of, did you get a lot of rejection? No, um, definitely. I mean, yeah. rejections is like maybe 99 out of 100. Really? But I, I thought of that process not so much as a getting acceptance. It's about getting the word out there. Hmm. So even till today, when we go out, you know, I tell my team, it's not about making people buy into you. It's about telling them what is out there. Yeah. Because the education piece is so lacking, mm. right? Especially in the professionals industry. So even if it, even if it doesn't end up in a sale or someone accepting you for who you are, at least they know you exist. And a huge part of tech uh, or businesses is out there creating the buzz, mm. uh, making people sure, uh, know that where you're coming from. So it's, it's not just about the whole selling piece. Right. Yeah, it's selling the idea, right? Yeah, you're planting, uh, you're yeah. planting seeds for the future right? exactly. as well. Exactly. How does it make you feel coming back here? Because, uh, first of all, how long ago was that in your journey? Uh, that was in October 2014. Wow, yes. nearly five years. Yes. 
coming back here. Yes. Tell us about the memories. <laughs> what kind of thoughts are going through your head now looking around? Because it probably hasn't changed a lot, this area, yes. with all the diners and the office workers pouring out for lunchtime memories yeah. Yeah. what's going through your head now actually the other day i was just thinking about this right because uh, you know when i was thinking about we're going to do this podcast and i was like oh wow and i think back about five years ago where no one was going to talk to me well wow. not even law society and uh but now you know times have changed yeah you know they've come to realize technology is important and we're partnering so many of the uh, you know who's who in the legal industry in the accounting industry uh, so it's beyond, right? It's beyond what I thought could have happened. And from not knowing any lawyers to now, you know, having them just all around me, I mean, I, of course, I feel safer now. Yeah, but <laughs> you feel a bit more validated, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And when you see startup founders starting this journey, you know, and thinking about what you went through, what kind of advice would you offer them? Because... I think the biggest part, maybe the challenge, was not necessarily getting people to accept you, but it was having that conversation in your own head, right? Yeah. That, am I doing the right thing? Because if you got 99% of all the conversations you had saying no or maybe or nothing, yeah. that's tough, right? Yes. That, that must have put you, I mean, I've been through that as well as a startup founder. That's a dark place, right? Yes. <laughs> and sometimes you find yourself alone in there, right? Yeah. And then I imagine a lot of startup founders who are going through that now probably experiencing similar kind of things. So lucky for me, uh, you know, I've come from a background of doing businesses as well. So I knew uh, I was up for a huge challenge, yeah. right, with, with an idea that's not validated. So uh, I was preparing myself for lots of rejections. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what's the worst that can come out of it? So I tell a lot of startup founders, right, you're here to do something that you won't do otherwise if you're stuck in a job or... You know, wondering if you're ever going to get onto that idea or do something about mm, it. Mm. But what's the worst that can come along? I mean, yeah. go back to but the But that's, that's a very positive and optimistic mindset. Yeah. Where, where, did, where did that come from with you? Because I imagine a lot of people, especially here in the professional services industry, don't have that kind of mindset. They're probably thinking about what they can lose by doing this, right? Yes. What made you different? What made you special in that sense? Um, what kind of background training did you have to think like that? So, luckily, or fortunately, I come from a family um, of, you know, we, we survived on very little. Mm. So, I try not to make myself lose that feeling that you can survive on nothing. Yeah. So, if you can survive on little, nothing, nothing that you do will make you worry. Yeah. Um, that, you know, you're not going to do something big or great because... What's the worst that can happen? I mean, you can exactly. still go back to yeah, exactly. where you are and you'll fatal. still be happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. So. Well, thank you for sharing that, that small moment with us. But I think it's a bigger story as well. It's quite inspiring as well. I'm glad we got it out because I think other people have to hear it. And that sort of forms that patchwork of stories that makes up Singapore as well and the startup ecosystem here. Yeah. Sharon, thank you so much well, for you so sharing much that for with us today. Time. Thank you, Graham. So we are in Grand Link Square on the east of Singapore. Graham here, standing with JW, JW Nyao. Hi, thanks, everyone. Yeah, thanks for bringing us back to a point in your journey where it kind of all started for you. We talk a little bit about what you're doing now and that long journey 
that you've been on. But you've brought us here to a corner of this mall. Maybe before we talk about what was going on here, let's talk about this mall first, because this is not a, a thriving center of the city mall, is it? What's going on here? It seems to be half empty. We have all different kinds of shops and very sort of different things going on. Confucian Association, a lot of traditional Chinese medicine, employment services. But you were a startup and you came here. What's the story, JW? Yeah, so, um, well, there was, it's about, this whole thing started about seven years ago. Um, We were a retail business then. And so retail business, naturally, you need a bit more space. And uh, we didn't want to be at an industrial area. So we, so we s- started looking for relatively good prices that were in so-called shopping malls. Yeah. And one day, um, we, were, we were introduced to this mall called Grand Link. And um, as a Singaporean, it was the first time I ever heard. Right. And, you know, in Singapore, you pretty much know every mall because it's so small. So I came here, uh, got a shock of my life. Um, because I just have n- no idea how long this mall has been around and um, who's running it. But, um, you know, there were a couple of units that was available and the rent was very good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we set up shop here. Yeah, as you can hear, it's quite echoing here because it's half empty, isn't it? Yes. So there's people moving stuff around. It seems to be something that comes alive maybe later in the day. But anyway, we'll talk about that. So this unit here, 29B... In the corner, you moved in. How many of you were there back back then? So at that time, there were there were about three or four of us. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was still in my first company yeah. um, called Dressabel, which um, you know um, was not the company I founded. Yeah. But at po- at that point, I was um, starting another company with um, um, the founder of Dressabel. So uh, there, were, there was about three of us there uh, here, uh, more, more than enough space for three people. Yeah. Um, but well, what were you doing? Um, warehousing, photo shoots, packing clothes. Yeah. Um, Fashion yeah. retail. Yeah, nothing that um, you know, nothing that's glamorous and yeah. Uh, yeah. So customer service. It's tiny. I'm just looking in. I'm poking my head through the door now. Yeah, and um, it's a. Hole in the wall unit. Yeah, uh, yeah. So our neighbors were at that time a spa. Right. So um, yeah, interesting demographic and clientele. Yeah. Um, interesting working hours too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was interesting. Um, I think when we opened our second unit, um, we were so proud. Yeah, second like, unit, the twenty nine A. Yeah, like next door. Like <laughs> Literally, we, the, yeah. the, the door right next. Yeah, like uh, we kind of felt like. It was it was a feeling like you know you're doing something right and you're expanding right. and you're on top of the world yeah. and you may be at an incredibly weird building yeah. and nobody can see you win yeah. <laughs> but yeah you so you expanded to next door and then did you stop there what happened next um, and then we hired some people yeah and um, you know um, business was picking up as a whole yeah so um, yeah and then we had one more unit so at some point we had three units in the building yeah. And how many people were you then? I think um, for my company, uh, I mean, we were doing a shared yeah. you know, space with Dressabel. So I think for us, we were at somewhat like 8 to 10 at our biggest. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty much a squeeze towards the end. Yeah. yeah. And did you move out of this unit to glamorous premises, a nice shiny mall? Uh, yes, we did eventually. Yeah. Uh, we were here for about two years. Yeah. 
Okay, and then you move to somewhere a bit nicer and so on. When you come back here, what do you feel, JW, about being here? Because you, you said to me you haven't been yeah. here for like five years. Yeah, uh, well, I think, I think um, a lot of the time, like entrepreneurship um, is about your wins. Yeah. So most of the time, people who come to the office that we have now um, look at the fact that we have, uh, so we are in Tanjong Baga now. Yeah, probably the most expensive place in Singapore, um, and very little to, uh, very, like not frequently do they think about where we came from, and how how difficult it has been. Yeah. So uh, it's it's interesting. Like I I'm thinking back about the hours that I work. Yeah. Um, what was it like back then? I think I I mean my whole life was my business. So I wake up at about eight in the morning every day. Um, I work here till. 7 p.m. That's when my uh, staff will knock off. I'll have dinner downstairs. Probably come back and work. Yeah. And I'll go home at I'll go home at 10. And um, I used to take um, about an hour to get home. Yeah. Yeah. So you got home, went to bed, got up, came and back to work. Did it all over again. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you were hustling back then. Yes. Yeah. Does it feel good to come back here? Does it feel like it's sort of a, a completion in a way to put it all into place for you? Um. Well, I think a lot about how much I've aged. Yeah, <laughs> come on! You're not that yeah. old now. You're only what thirty now. I'm thirty-one. This thirty-one. Year. Yeah, so, so I was uh, twenty-three when I started hustling out here. Yeah. Uh, and at twenty-three, I had a lot of hobbies. So like, I used to, we used to skateboard and play hockey around here. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll play downstairs too. I'll show you around later. Yeah, we'll go and have a look at that, shall we? Yeah, let's go. So we're outside your old haunt, your beginnings this is the the play area for your office what was it like back then i think you shared the photo with me was that from outside here you on the scooters okay it would, it would have been over there right uh on the uh, with the hockey sticks and <laughs> yeah so actually that would have been the loading unloading bay of the building right but as you can see there's no real activity here yeah so you we could pretty much do whatever we want so you're out there playing hockey yeah um causing a ruckus yes and it was perfectly fine. Yeah, it is. It's funny, isn't it? Like you think about startups now, like the WeWorks and so on. Everybody has these like really nice plush offices. They've got like, slides and ball pits. But you were out there with your hockey sticks. It's yeah. quite basic, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, we used to, whenever we got, we got too tired or bored, we would just take whatever we had, which consists of a bicycle, yeah. a skateboard, I think, a couple of rollerblades, hockey sticks and we'll just come out and play yeah yeah it's cool so sort of bringing that forward what happened to that company that you built in there um well um it, it i mean like like every company it, you know it saw it, it saw it, it's rise and yeah. later on probably pivoted a few times and um the business um, model has changed significantly but uh the team is still the same right yeah so like officially we still have the same company structure and entity yeah. but um, the business activity has changed yeah yeah. so you've had a few yeah. successes as well in your journey you want to talk about those because you did yeah. start in very I mean I think you're qualified now to talk about your successes having started in very humble beginnings you weren't sort of given it all as a family office or you weren't starting out and you know straight into the accelerator raise half a million off you go you hustled from the very beginning yeah so uh, I think uh, I, I mean I, I consider myself to have had two um, you know successes or like lucky exits 
Yeah. So um, they're not lucky exits; they're exits, right? So yeah, an exit. you, uh, all yeah, exits okay. require a bit of luck. You have to meet yes. people and so on. Yeah. So um, and and yeah. So the first one would have been retail. Yeah. Um, which really is, I think, I think retail made me as a person in in terms of being able to take hardship and um, you know, retailers, you're kind of at the bottom of the food chain, so you know. You have to deal with landlords, you have to deal with suppliers, you have to deal with customers. And um, and I think that shaped me a lot in terms of my worldview. Yeah. So uh yeah, so that was that was that was my first story. Yeah. Um the second was um, you know, being in a retail group and being in a retail group had its own challenges as well in terms of managing you know, um management teams and growth teams. Yeah. So uh right now I'm I consider myself a blockchain practitioner, which is completely different from uh, what I used to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But what sort of skills did you learn back in those early days that you think are useful now? Well, like dealing with landlords, dealing with the less glamorous part of business, right? Yeah, I think I think uh, I think it taught me a lot about you know being grounded, uh, about humility. Yeah. I think these things. I think these things. If you don't learn them um, early. Um, you when you when you find success, you are not positioned to write them as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's one of the key things. I think, I think there are other things like you know, like being able to you know, you know, recruit talent, filter through innovation, figure out what's next. But uh, yeah, that's another story altogether. Yeah. And yeah. Okay, so a couple of things. Firstly, I mean, you have had a couple of exits. Are you able to share the size of those exits so we know? Yeah, so I think the first exit was a three million yeah. exit, um, which I would say is relatively small in the grand scheme of like tech startups. Yeah. But um, in retail, just strictly retail, very rarely do you actually see exits. Yeah. Um, so that was the first one. The second one um, was uh, twenty-two million. Mm. So with that in mind, given where you came from today, and you see a lot of startup founders now, and I think you're. Um, you know, you're out there telling your story about how you started and where you are now. I think people are inspired hearing that. People reach out to you. Coming back here now, I'm looking at the place you used to play on the scooters and with the hockey sticks. What sort of advice would you offer people looking at that sort of pathway, looking to maybe copy a little bit of JW? Well, I think if you're trying to um, build, um, if, if your personal, like, go or moonshot is to build and sell a couple of businesses then um, in the process you need to not just learn how to raise but learn how to make money yeah and uh, and I think that uh, a lot of that goes back down to you know uh, business fundamentals like um, knowing um, how to manage your costs and being able to take a little bit of hardship yeah uh, so I think that's one uh, I think another thing about um, growth as a whole I think um, I think the outfit that um, the media um, uh, expects you to take or um, portrays most, you know, high growth startups to take are not necessarily the only outfit you can take. Uh, you can you you can look very different and feel like you're on the wrong track and yet still get to your end end point. Yeah, there's not only one way of doing it. Yeah, exactly. And I think yeah. you've given people some examples to follow as well. And especially as well, starting off in retail. I mean, I find yeah. entrepreneurs who were sort of, you know, they cut their teeth in retail, have a real appreciation for cash flow, managing cash, yeah. and the basic business fundamentals, which are sometimes are a bit lost when people only know how to raise funds. 
or yes. only know how to put a pitch deck together. Yeah. Like you said, growing a business is one thing, but actually running the business and making money is another skill entirely, right? So yeah. knowing those basics. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit of your history with us, JW. Thank so you. that was a nice walk through. Um, what sort of feelings are going through your head now standing out here after so many years? Well, uh, well, thinking, I, I think I, I think I have changed um, and grown and evolved so much in the past, yeah. um, you know, five to seven years. And I think that's not something that comes to me every day. Like I, I wake up every day and I'm quite aware of, um, you know, the journey I've taken and, 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 and some of the good things that has happened for me. But um, I think if you were to ask me five, five years ago here, um, where would I Im- imagine myself? I don't think I would ever have been able to even come close to being where I am and I don't just mean that by you know having to exist or having a certain amount of personal success but um, you know the maturity and everything else that comes with um, this journey and I feel good so this is Sounds of Our City and we are taking our guests down their memory lanes and today we have a special guest with us Graham yeah so where are we we are in, as you can hear, a very noisy place, which is Newton Hawker Centre yeah. in Singapore. And this is one of the busiest Hawker Centres in Singapore. There's probably about, I don't know, what, 40, 30 or 40 stalls here selling everything from uh, local seafood to fried chicken to nazi lemak. All the local specialities, Chinese, Malay, Indonesian, Indian food, mm-hmm. satay. Yeah, and it's buzzing. We're here on a Thursday evening and already 7 o'clock is packed. Maybe uh, there must be about 500 people here. Easily, all eating. Yeah. yeah. So why did you bring us here then? Well... I wanted to bring us to a place where I believe the journey of our company, Pitch, started. So I believe this is a great place to go full circuit. This is a year ago. Like it was almost a year ago that I came to Singapore from Japan. Mm-hmm. And one evening, a friend of mine, Stuart, Stuart Kerr, yeah. He said to me, after we'd built the studio, which is not far from here, he said, uh, why don't we go to a Hawker Centre? I hadn't been to a Hawker Centre before, not a proper one. This was your first experience at a Hawker Centre? Probably. I mean, I had like, you know, breakfast and I had tea, but I'd never sort of been out in a Hawker Centre in the evening. He said, let's go to Newton Hawker Centre. Because Newton Hawker Centre is easy. It's it's not like a really, really local one, but it's popular with tourists. So he said, why don't we go here? I said, great, let's do it. So that was the beginning. A year ago, after I'd moved to Japan, moved from Japan to here, we came to the Newton Hawker Center on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a little bit busier than this. It was packed. And we, we were quite lucky to get this table here tonight, right? Yeah. Um, somebody was just cleaning it away. A, a party had just left. But we were sitting just over there. So Stuart grabbed, there was myself and Stuart, we grabbed the seats over there and there were people queuing for seats, like hawking, waiting for people to leave. <laughs> so as you can hear from the buzz, there's a lot of people here. So we grabbed those seats, 
went off and ordered some food, you choke the seats. Choping is a yeah. Singaporean. I learned the, the habit. You put like a pack of tissues or an umbrella down, reserve your seats, then you go off and get your food and come back. So we grabbed, I think it was that table actually over there. Wow. And that was it, the last seats in the house. We got them. So, yeah. Then what happened after that? That's where the story starts, is it? This is where it all begins. Yeah. So we just moved family from Japan to Singapore. I was new to the place, didn't really know what was going on. Sitting at this table, very busy, a little bit darker than now, so we couldn't really see who's who. Mm -hmm. A couple came along, a husband and wife, and they said, uh, can we sit there? And there were two seats, and I think they must have been the last seats in the whole Hawker Center of like 500 people. So I moved my jacket, and I said, sure, have a seat. And they went off, and I sat talking to Stuart, like I'm sitting opposite Barrett now, and we were talking about business, eating food. They then come back, they sit down, and I'm aware that they're there, husband and wife, and then they start talking to us. And then he said, like, do you want some fried chicken? <laughs> they were like, chicken wings, I remember yeah, it. He said, yeah. like, have some chicken wings. We're eating the chicken wings. And then uh, we said, do you want some of our food? So we had like some fish and stuff like that, and we're just sharing the food as you do, like in a hawker center, because it's not like a restaurant. Everybody's kind of like sitting open, mm -hmm. and you're mixing with normal people. You don't know who you're mixing with. Just everybody's sitting here, all different kinds of people sharing foods. It's great, and it's a really Singaporean experience. And then we get talking, and then he asks Stuart, "What do you do?" And Stuart says, "Medical devices," and he showed him a pair of medical devices that he makes by like these glasses. And then uh, he asked me, what do I do? I said, I, I work, I have a podcast studio. We make podcasts. We do podcasts for brands. He asked me about that. He was interested in it. Asked me what kind of work that we did. And then I turned around to him and said, what do you do? And he said, um, I own an airline. Oh, okay. And I looked at it and I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> I know who you are. You're Tony Fernandez. Wow. I've seen you before the founder of AirAsia I didn't say that to him but it's like you know when you're sitting next to somebody and you see them out of context you don't think it's mm -hmm. them and then we talked so we talked for the rest of the evening he sat there for maybe I think it must have been about two hours we talked about we both lived in the same town in England mm -hmm. like Epsom he, he grew up there I lived there for like 10 years 12 years so we talked about Epsom and how it changed and the crappy pub by the railway station. He knew all that. And then he talked about his time when he like was young and then he moved to Scotland and being a brown-skinned guy in a very much a white-skinned town mm -hmm. and how that was like for him as a kid on his own in England. So he talked about all those stories quite deep. And then I said to him, um, I want to get you on my podcast. And I had just started... Really? So I just pitched him the idea. I had only done like 20 episodes. And I said, I want you to be on my podcast. And I thought, look, I'm never going to meet this guy again. Yeah. He's like one of the most well-known business people in Asia. Very well. I mean, obviously, he's owned a football club, an F1 team. He owns an airline. I'm not going to see this guy again. Oh, why not? Pitch him. So I pitched him the idea. And he said, yes. And then he said, he okay. Said yes. Yeah, he said, yeah, well, why not? Yeah. And it wasn't like, what's a podcast? I said, I want to do this podcast with you. I want to hear your story. 
your authentic human story, if you like. And he said, yeah, let's do it. And then he basically, he gave me his what? He gave me his telephone number and I put it on my WhatsApp. And he said, um, yeah, buzz me. Let's do it. And then his guy comes in and said, the car's waiting. I've got to get on a mm-hmm. flight. And then I'm off. It was funny, actually. Some of the conversation I remember now that I'm recalling it. Like he was asking me, he was saying, he was flying to Japan. Mm-hmm. And like some of the things he was asking me, and maybe if Tony's listening to this, he'll laugh. But he was, he was asking me, because I lived in Japan, and he was saying, do you know Mori? Like, as if I know more. So, Mori, like, I don't yeah. even know. There's a designer name. There's a designer brand in Japan called Hanai Mori. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, a, a luxury brand. It's it's his wife. Mm-hmm. So, Mori's wife is a brand in Japan. Mori is, like, the biggest landowner in Japan. Mm-hmm. He owns, like, all these buildings in central Tokyo. He's, like, a billionaire. And he was asking me, like, do you know Mori? As if I knew him. He said, yeah, I'm going to go and stay with him next week because we're flying to Japan. Yeah. So it's funny that conversation, like he just assumed that because I was in Japan and I was a podcast, but I know this guy, right? So I wanted to come here because I think it was a pivotal moment in our business in the sense that there are people like Tony who want to get on the podcast and tell their story. Mm. And I really felt that actually I kind of discovered what our value was. Like... You know, we weren't a video production company just pitching ideas to people or a website design company or consultancy. But somebody like Tony Fernandez could see the value in me, even though we were new, that I could offer him something that he didn't have. And that was the ability to tell his story in his way without PR, without handlers. And it was a huge confirmation. And, you know, like when we three went to KL and that bit when he walked into the room and he said I have one request and I thought it was going to be like I've only got 10 minutes to do this but he turned around and said I want to start a podcast business for me that was and I'm sure for all of us that was huge validation of what we do that we were the right people in the right place at the right time there was nobody else he you know he wasn't reaching out to other people and saying like can you do this can you do this he picked us yeah and he just didn't say that I want to start a podcast uh, he said, I want to start a podcast business. Yeah. So that was huge as well. Yeah, I know. That was a bit of a, a surprise. I wasn't yeah. ready for that. So, okay, you're speaking to the right people, Tony. So, yeah, I think I wanted to come here because that's where it started. And I don't know. We, doing the sounds of our city, I think you'll hear other people say about luck. Yeah. I, I don't believe in luck. I, I think that okay you need luck but it really you've got to have the door open for luck to walk in Mm -hmm. like you know just by living fate deals you cards every day and that card could be sorry mate today you're getting run over by a bus Mm. too bad or today I'm going to send like the most one of the most high profile guests you're ever going to have to you you just got to have your door open for that person to walk in. And I think that's the luck, is that you, you're going to get dealt luck every day in good luck, bad luck, whatever. And you just got to be open to it. And I think somehow that all came together. That our stars were in alignment that day. We just happened to be in the right place. Yeah. 
And what would you say that, you know, throughout this whole journey of you coming from Japan here to Singapore to set up your business with your family, what would you say will be like the low point? First six months. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like, you come to a new place, it's tough. You bring your family, it's tough. You don't have clients. You're not generating revenue. You're watching your bank account going down. You don't know anybody. Yeah. I didn't know anybody when I came to Singapore. Everybody I know now, I have made friends with since being here. So even like you guys recruiting you, but I didn't know you before. And all our clients are new. Our business is new. So it's tough. I mean, especially, I mean, if you're, if you're new, it's easy. But if you're like older like me and you have all these sort of self-doubts, which is like, I shouldn't be doing this at my age. I'm in my 40s. I've made it. I should have squared all this off and be sailing off into the sunset. But here I am doing it all again. Like I'm going back to like in my 20s and deliberately putting myself in a situation where, you know, I've put my family at risk. I put my finances at risk. And you, you have all that self-doubt in your head thinking, you know, what the hell are you doing? And I think that's, that's magnified by the fact you're in a new country. You have n I didn't have any family here, any friends. Like, very few people knew who I was. So I have nothing to fall back on. Yeah. And that, that, I think, is a low point. And we went through a lot of, like, shitty experiences, I think, as a team. Yeah. In the sense that, you know, like, you, you know what I'm talking about. Promised investments and all that sort of stuff. And I think we hit a really low point you know, that we got a bit lost. Um, I think we got treated badly by a few people, but I'm not going to blame them because it was our fault, my fault for letting those people in. And when you're sort of in a place like this, you don't have anybody to turn to. It's hard, right? Yeah. Like, I don't have any parents. I, can't have, I don't have any parents left I can go to, like, help me. There's nobody. I'm like looking after a family, right? And that's tough because you're thinking like, nobody's going to bail me out. If I lose everything, that's it. And those dark moments are tough, right? Because you're, you're, like, I feel responsible for you. I feel responsible for my family. And everybody I promise, like, hey, come help me build the studio. <laughs> like everybody's on board and building this stuff. And you're thinking, what if this doesn't work out? Yeah. Then you're thinking you're some kind of fake right yeah. but that's tough because that that's more important than money like you feel like you just kind of like gambled it all away you know 20 years of success and you just threw it away so yeah so what gets you going like now that you shared all your you know the story the background and all the low points but after when these low points actually come in your life what gets you going like next day you still want to come to office and make it happen yeah what motivates you to do that is it moments like this moments like this yeah, yeah. I mean it's like doing I think the reason you start your own business or you work for a startup is to do work you, you love and earn enough money to keep you doing that you know if it's what you enjoy it's a game, isn't it? If you love playing a game, 
earn enough money to keep playing that game, right? And I think like with the Tony Fernandez moment, like when we went to to KL, we had a lot of setbacks, right? You remember like the flights were booked, yeah. Then it was cancelled. Then he was doing it in Singapore. Then it was cancelled, like last minute, last minute the night before. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, you're disappointed. You're Barrett. You're disappointed. I'm disappointed. I'm doubly disappointed because I'm thinking like I've I've like brought you along on this journey, and I'm thinking that is tougher on me because you know you've kind of convinced people to come and join the team and do this thing, and like you feel responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we did it, and then Tony walked in and he said, "I want to start a podcast business," and he believed in us, and we did the business with him. Yeah, that's what it's about. Where else are you going to get that? Yeah, and then. You think, well, is that luck? Has the universe somehow conspired to take you on this journey and then show you something? Because for somebody like him, he, he could have thousands of people do this for him, but he picked us. Yeah. And because he picked us, I feel that that is a sign mm. which you cannot deny you've got to read it and double down on it right yeah and I feel like that motivates me on a daily basis that it's not a I don't believe in like callings <laughs> but we occupy a special place and I think that somebody's given us an opportunity which we may never get again I feel like maybe in my lifetime and therefore we've just got to seize it and do it I don't know that ain't going to come along again that's great you know so I think yeah. That, that motivates me coming back here I, I remember it and it's like okay that's why we did it and who else is getting these opportunities yeah I don't know like so one year Raham it's it been is. one year cheers cheers <laughs> to that and so how do you feel now yeah I feel good um, I feel good because we're having we're, we're doing stuff that matters mm-hmm. and we're doing stuff that's interesting and it's inspiring like think about the conversations we had like on Sounds of Our City these conversations that we have with people on a daily basis they're inspiring right? very inspiring yeah I think that's that's what it's about you know like we're getting paid to do this and we're talking about what matters we're talking about what people care about what's in their heart right those human stories I think not many people do that but we're putting ourselves out there. I think we're brave enough to put ourselves out there and talk about these issues and talk about the things that people care about. So if we're doing that, and I guess at the end of the day, Pratano, if we stop doing it, will people miss us? Exactly. If they don't miss us, then like we've just wasted that year. Hopefully people miss us. Hopefully people miss this content. I'd yes. like to know. Reach out to us. If they think this content speaks to them, then tell us. And if it doesn't, then, you know, we're doing something wrong. Like, you know, we want to take this to different cities, right? Do something new. Do something that's worth talking about. You've been listening to Sounds of Our City. My name is Graham Brown. 
Hopefully you enjoyed this episode, a walk through another city in Asia, as told through the stories of local people. We're just getting started. Hopefully you can join us on this journey with Sounds of Our City. Head over to www.soundsofourcity.com. That's soundsofourcity.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Get all the latest episodes when we publish them before they go public. And also get exclusive content when we publish behind-the-scenes content from our journey through Asia. And lastly, we will be heading to cities around Asia. Get a heads up on when we will be heading to a city near you at some point. My name's Graham Brown. Head over to Sounds of Our City. Sign up for us on all the usual podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, etc. All the links are on soundsofourcity.com.